I had just the worst headache, and then I realized I haven't had any caffeine today. And I was like, oh, good thing I have this tiny little can of Coke. I love that. They make me feel like a giant. <laughs> I never feel like a giant. <laughs> And welcome to episode 93 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I'm great. Awesome. Good. Uh, doing for my work. Uh-huh. Uh, we're signed up to do Best Christmas Ever. Is that a giving away presents thing? It's a nonprofit. Okay. That goes towards... Um, like you basically get this, everybody nominates people in their life that are going through hard times through no fault of their own. A uh-huh. family member's sick, somebody passed away. Yeah. Families are struggling for various different reasons. And people nominate them to say like, this is why they deserve to have the best Christmas ever. Yes. I've and, heard of this. Yep. So my work, there's two team captains. I'm one. Uh, and there's a salesman that's another one. Okay. And we are the team captains, like, fundraising, doing all of this sort of stuff. And we raise money that goes towards the families for their financial difficulties. Uh And then we um, buy presents for each member of the family so that they can get this big, like, kind of Christmas surprise from the community. Oh, that's so nice. And they don't know about it until, like, they get it. Right. Oh, that's so nice. So I already posted the fundraiser on my personal page. I'll probably post it on ours later just in case, like, anybody wants to support some Twin Ports families that need some extra love this Christmas. I think that's good. I think that's good. So that uh, was just figured out this week, and I'm very excited about it. So that's my big thing. How are you? Um... Well, I've been sick for five days, and I am, it's unpleasant, so uh, yeah, that's not well, not well in the most literal sense. Yep, and I, I did not well. I did know that because I said, oh, Brittany asked me when we wanted to record, and we were talking about it, and then I was like, okay, good. I was like, wait, no, not good that you're sick, <laughs> just just good that we have a, a recording time. And then I was like, I'm going to stop talking now. So, Because <laughs> we normally record on Mondays, and yet here we are on Tuesday evening after work, which means that I'm going to do something right after this for one of my jobs, and then I'm going to edit this and hopefully have it posted before midnight. Yeah, nobody actually listens at like 12.01. We're fine. Yeah, I know, but I would like to go to sleep because I'm sick, and yeah. so hopefully it'll be before midnight. If you're normally a person that listens at 12.01, and this is a little late, we're sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm so sorry. There have been a lot of episodes that I have I've like recorded until like 3 o'clock in the morning, or even gone to bed and then woke up crazy early and then got it in by 8. Also, if you're one of the people that listens at 1201, also not sorry, because what are you doing? Go to bed. They might be in a different country. Go to bed. (laughs) Is it noon for you? Go Go to to bed. bed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Nap time. (laughs) 
Are you ready for my location this week? I am indeed. Yeah. I'm I'm bringing it back. I'm going classic left of skeptic style. I've just got a building in a town that's haunted. Okay. So, have you ever heard of the Billheimer Capitol Theater? No. Where is it? It is located at 405 Cleveland Street in Clearwater, Florida. Well, you know, you threw me for a loop there. I thought we were going to sing about Ohio again. No, no, no. No singing about Ohio. Just, I mean... My heart is in Florida. It just doesn't have that right ring to it. And it's just so false. Can I think of any songs that involve Florida? Miami. Welcome, Welcome to, to Miami. Miami. <laughs> Not planned. Okay. <laughs> oh, Will Smith. So I like him. This classic building, complete with a large mezzanine and furnishings reminiscent of an old school Hollywood theater... And it is one of the oldest operating theaters in the state of Florida. Damn. Florida's pretty old. It is pretty old. The building opened as the Capitol Theater March 21st of 1921, and it was owned by Largo businessman John S. Taylor when they showed a screening of the silent comedy Dinty. Oh, okay. At the time, it had a seating capacity of 944. Shit. Something that is quickly pointed out in a couple of the interviews where people are like, really? Before the remodels? How small were people back in the day? And I'm going to tell you that a lot of people were very small. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, beds at Glenching. They taught me teeny tiny people. Yep. And I was thinking about it as I was writing this. A lot of the theaters on Broadway are old theaters. And I remember thinking as I was sitting in the chairs, like, my hips man, my hips. What? <laughs> you know, you think people back in the day would give, you know, some leeway for them birthing hips, but, uh, them their birthing hips, <laughs> not, not 2022 birthing hips, <laughs> but no worries about the seats. It's got updated seats. There are a pair of original theater seats on exhibit in the lobby, but they've adjusted and the current capacity with updated seating it's now set for seven fifty for events such as comedy shows and concerts. It is still an active theater that is used regularly. That is significantly more reasonable with much more comfortable seats, I assume. It is the only opera house in Clearwater, and it is known for having some of the best natural acoustics, which gorgeous. It had a stint of being known as the Royalty Theater from 1982 to 2008. It underwent a massive renovation in the early 2000s, and in 2019, a $2.5 million donation was made to rebrand it back to the Capitol Theater. So it is now the Nancy and David Billheimer Capitol Theater. Which is how it started. Yep. So a lot of my sources uh, call it the Royalty Theater because they're that old. Oh, yeah. But. Wait, what did you say, the mid-2000s? In uh no eighties to two thousands and yeah, then in twenty nineteen so it was rebranded in twenty twenty okay yeah twenty nineteen wasn't that far no it really wasn't that ago. far away <laughs> I mean that's it's pre COVID that feels like forever ago yeah it feels but like a million years ago but when you count the numbers the building has survived a lot it survived the depression um, World War Two minor lawsuits which they didn't go into specifics on. Um, taking move like taking movies from silent to talking to out of movies and end up back in a live theater. Like they have all these different changes that have had and it's continued to move on through it all. Awesome. 
Oh, and uh, Hur- Hurricane Donna in 1960, it survived that. I was going to say, a lot of hurricanes in general, I yep. assume. There was. It says there was damage by storms a few times, but that was the big one that they mentioned. Oh, okay. It was first built as a bandstand uh, located there um, way back in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And it was said that it was like a park that people came out to and listened to music. Because bandstands are originally, you know... Open air. Open yeah. air. Yeah, I... Duluth needs a bandstand. Back then, the names of locals who served in World War One were etched on the exterior wall of the bandstand's neighboring Clearwater Sun newspaper building, and it was titled the Panel of Honor. The wall was hidden when the theater was built as an enclosed building in 1921, but rediscovered in 2013 when the newspaper building was demolished, and the wall was saved and incorporated into the theater's interior during the next expansion. That is awesome. That wasn't the only surprising discovery during renovations. Okay. The Royalty Theater Company signed leases with the Taylor family in February of 1981, and when it became known as, you know, the Royalty Theater, during those renovations, Bill Neville's body was found in the balcony. What? How? How was that? What? How? It was a different surprising res- discovery. Yeah. A much what? sadder surprising discovery. And also, discovery. Where, where was he? So, Bill Neville was a former manager of the theater, and he was murdered. Okay. This is not a rumor. This is, like, a real thing that happened. There are newspaper articles about it. Uh, The Tampa Bay Times from St. Petersburg, Florida, on June 1st of 1981, had a little snippet that I read that said, Accused of murdering former Capitol Theater manager Bill Neville, dot, dot, dot. And I couldn't see anything else other than that tiny little snippet from my searches, because they require a subscription, and your girl is financially lacking. Oh, you know what? That reminds me. I have a subscription to the New York Times I should share with you. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Because I already subscribe to the Duluth News Tribune and uh-huh. the Star Tribune, uh-huh. and I buy multiple books for sources on this. I'm If, if I'm going to buy something, it's going to be a book about multiple locations, not another random newspaper subscription that I'm never going to use. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've signed up for a couple of the small town ones, and then it's really hard to cancel them. You're like, I'm never going to go here again. Yep. In a paranormal investigation that I'll reference later, a man named Jeff Hartskog was giving a tour of the theater and mentioned the murder, but wouldn't tell them the full details. The report said he wouldn't tell us the exact area the man's body was found, only that it was in the balcony. Mr. Neville lived an alternative lifestyle. Okay. And the murder was reported as a hate crime, a.k.a. he was gay. Okay. I was like, I assume this means he's gay. Yep. Maybe he's into witch, witchism, <laughs> witchcraft. It was committed by two drunk men who are currently, at the time of that report, which was back in 2010, who were currently still incarcerated Hopefully never to be released. Mr. Hartskog stated that he believed the men were coming up for parole soon, and they said, we pray that they fail to meet their goals, which I agree. I agree. Yep. I agree. What a stupid reason to kill someone. So that's a whole thing. I couldn't find any reports. I did look. I couldn't find any reports on if somebody was released or not, but basically it was a hate crime murder. They stashed him up there, and they found his body later. I just don't understand how they stashed him so well that no one found it pre, like... The, During a renovation, but yeah. they don't they don't give those details. That's like, oh. they, nobody talks about it. They don't say where his body was found. Oh, that just... I just want to know. 
Mr. Neville returned or chose to stay as okay. a spirit. Many sources say he chose to stay in the theater because it was a place he felt comfortable. Workers at the theater say he still appreciates the theater and the arts. The first sign of a ghostly presence in the theater appeared after Bill's death. In one instance, he saved the life of a worker. Oh. While an employee was repairing some electrical components during a renovation on the balcony, he tripped on some wires in a toolbox. Just as he was about to fall off the edge, he felt the cool grip around his shoulders and the feeling of being gently pulled backwards towards safety. When the worker got his footing and went to thank his savior, he found the balcony completely empty except for himself. That is lovely. Also, it seems like definitely one of the ways I would probably go. <laughs> Tripping <laughs> off of a balcony. You wouldn't be doing electrical work, though. No, no, I would just be walking around like a regular person and trip over nothing. <laughs> Since that time, customers, students of the Dance Academy, workers, and other visitors have all felt the presence of the caring manager and feel that it's a good coexistence. While they can't guarantee that it's Bill, most people choose to think that despite his horrible end, he chose to stick around and help everyone appreciate the arts the same way he did. I mean, yeah, that's where he felt loved and appreciated. I would stick around there, too. There are two other spirits in, known in the theater, a captain and a little girl. Okay. The captain is said to have been seen as a full and or partial body apparition depending kind of how you define those. Because some people say full as in like your whole body, and some people say full as in more clear, whereas partial might be more misty or foggy. I've still never been able to get a full idea of how that works. Yeah, I think a full as in like the entire body and partial is like missing feet or something. Well, he has a goatee and wears a blue coat and a fisherman's cap that earned him his name of the captain. Awesome. He's actually been witnessed by one of the past owners of the building. Uh, Socrates Cheros. That is a sweet name. According to Socrates, when he first took over the Royal Theater, he was formally introduced to one of the ghosts. He walked through the main door one morning and was approached by a man of average height who wore a dark blue jacket-like coat from another era. He had a goatee, piercing blue eyes, and wore a large hat like that of a fisherman. At first, the new owner thought it was an actor, and the ghost reached out his hand as if to shake Charos's, and after shaking hands, the captain walked away, right through him. <laughs> at that point, Charos bothered to notice that the apparition had no legs. He stopped at the bottom of his coat. Yeah, so he's not a full apparition. He's just a partial one. The captain's spirit at the theater is uh, supposedly fucking inappropriate. Oh, boo. Not saving any lives there. And very boisterous. He tends to haunt the actors backstage Okay. while they get ready for a show. It is apparently not uncommon for women actors to feel icy, disembodied hands running up their legs or worse, <gasps> pinching or slapping their butts. No. That is, I don't like that. One night, he decided to have a full-out tantrum on the main stage. Like made noises. During a performance. Yeah, made noises that sounded like banging pots and pans together, stomping up and down the stage stairs, and moving set pieces. Oh my God. At that point, Cheros was like, okay, no, and hired an exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> now, the exorcist did come. They haven't had anything as drastic as that night happened, but apparently you might still see the captain around. Well, maybe it just, maybe he wasn't like the best exorcist, and but he got. 
He got the picture. He's the, like, the okay, partial exorcism. Okay. Mm, I won't do that anymore if you're going to try and exorcise me. I'd take a partial exorcism. I mean, maybe it got rid of some of his negative energy. Now he's a happy captain. And not much is known about the little girl's spirit. Just that she is fun and happy. Awesome. She appears to be in her preteen years and has never felt like a threatening presence. Though her identity is a secret, most people refer to her as Angelica or Angelina. I guess it's just kind of a name that the workers gave her so that they weren't just saying nothing. Little girl. Little girl ghost. I could get creepy real fast. Just like imagine grownups just walking around. Little girl. Little girl. Don't do that. Her first recorded appearance was in the 60s after a storm that damaged the theater. That was the hurricane. Okay. She is said to be wearing early American-style clothing somewhere before the turn of the century. She likes music, song, and dance, and she is only seen from time to time, like less frequently than the captain or Bill. Same. I like all of those things, and people only sometimes see me. (laughs) When people do witness her childlike form, it seems like she is frolicking about. She is most commonly seen on the balcony, the stage, or from behind the curtains. And while reports of her dress color vary, the dress is often described as fluffy, and she has a bow in her hair and a smile on her face. Uh, is it like a, what is it, Sleeping Beauty, where the dress changes colors as they go? I don't know. Okay. I, I've, I've, I don't like a lot of those old Disney movies. I have zero desire for Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Snow White. Uh, that's Pinocchio. Legit. That's just yeah. not for me. Yeah, that's fine. I think you might be right because they that that's the one that had Maleficent and the fairies and the fairy that yeah the fairies because of the fairies. Yeah. Yep, that might be right. Yep. Okay. According to Florida's Ghostly Legends and Haunted Folklore, The Gulf Coast and Pensacola by Greg Jenkins, a Saint Petersburg ghost hunting group called Spirits. Can you guess what Spirits stands for? Saint Petersburg. Irate <laughs> residents that uh, sunk. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes almost as much sense as this one. Servicing paranormal investigators reporting information through science or through study. Excuse me, through study. Study, not science. Yeah. <laughs> just study. Spirits. It just seems like, just call yourself spirits. I know, that's so big. Anyway. They conducted research into the theater's entities and was able to collect a good amount of history and about the urban legends regarding them. As of 2007, when the book was published, the primary spirits seen and heard matched up to the three we just discussed, the captain, Mr. Neville, and the little girl. Okay. Through their research, they were unable to find any identification for the girl or the captain. Just like the tour host that said Mr. Devil... Mr. Neville lived an alternative lifestyle. This book decided to say that he was carefree in nature and was said to have some effeminate mannerisms. AKA. He was gay. He was gay. <laughs> um, but from what they were able to find from their sources, including interviews, he was known to be a good man who loved his work and the theater to a point where he considered his job more of a labor of love than like a workplace and would often call the theater his second home. Yeah, I mean, that's what I thought of my high school theater. Yep. Performing Arts Center. Like, that was my second home. That's where I was most of the year. I kept trying to figure out why they would just, like, hint around it. But I think maybe if if he wasn't out and they never confirmed it, then... But the drunk people were very obviously hate-criming him. 
Right. So, but because he wasn't out, they didn't want to say that, maybe? Maybe, but also, like, it's 2007, man. Yeah, but even then, like, how many movies came out with some stupid-ass shit back then? So many. Yeah. So many. Dust and Shadows, a paranormal investigation team, visited the theater on October 17th of 2010. This is where they met with Jeff Hartzog. That was from the interview before. Mm -hmm. Who they called very knowledgeable and charismatic. And he provided them with a tour and background history of the theater. And Mr. Hartzog mentioned sightings of the captain and a little girl. However, the investigation team did initially state that the sightings were questionable. Okay. The questionability of it did like get some verification when they had Cheryl Smead, who was a local medium that went on the investigation with her or with them. Okay. She said that she confirmed the sightings of the child. Quote, Jeff had mentioned the sighting of a 12-year-old child, but this one seemed younger. She was wearing a blue dress and a white pinafore. She was very translucent. I believe I also saw her on the stage when Jeff was giving us the history tour before our investigation began. Unquote. She also said she had an experience in the basement AC room that they did not think for sure was the captain because this is not where the captain normally resides. Okay. But they were just going with something because he said, or she said, with Christina and Lauren, I took Lauren's recorder into the room with the old AC unit because during the tour, I had seen an elderly man in there with blue denim overalls. He said he took care of the AC equipment. I thought he said his name was Mr. McGregor or... McGillivary, something like that. Other noises were heard and dismissed. Christina came in to take photos, and the first man was a little shy, but he was willing to have his picture taken standing next to me. I think Christina saw an orb next to me in one of those pictures. Christina took pictures throughout the basement because she thought she saw a face down there during the tour. So apparently there might be this extra ghost, but this was this only in that one source room. that I could find it, and it, that was the only room. Okay. Well, it sounds like something that... Based upon what he said, he he would stay in that room, and yeah. people don't go in that room very often. Yep, I could see that. From hauntedplaces.org, uh, back in June of 2014, a user named Annabelle said, Ruth Eckerd Hall used to work in the box office. At the end of the night, the box office cashier placed the money in a blue bank bag, walked down the west aisle to, with the bag to the exit on the right facing the screen. That had a curtain. The manager's office was there. Ruth was a very prompt and precise lady. 10.10 p.m. was her normal time walking down the aisle. If you saw her at 10.15 p.m., that meant she had a busy box office. The uniform was a blue smock. Many people will see her walk down the aisle years after her death. Aw, she's doing the job she loved. It's got to get done on time. Boom, boom, boom. And July 30th of 2017, somebody said, just had a live experience in the double A box seats. The wall panel just strangely popped off the wall from its metal clamps and hit one of us in the head. It exposed graffiti behind it written F.U. in very old adhesive. We all felt there was someone up there with us. I never knew the theater was supposed to be haunted until I just looked it up today. That's cool. Yeah. And I like that the, the guys renovating it was like, let's do the adhesive F.U. <laughs> sticking up there. So... This building has the three well-known ghosts, but it might have some others. It might have Ruth Eckerd Hall. It might have the AC man. It might have somebody angry who's just prying things off the walls. Either way, if you decide to visit the Capitol Theater in Clearwater, Florida, say hi and thanks to Bill for being such a dedicated manager and lover of the arts. Tell the captain to keep his fucking hands off. 
and wave hi at the happy little girl if you happen to see her. I love it. That was so good. Yay. <laughs> it was my first straightforward haunting in a while. I've been doing a lot of complicated stuff. I know. You know, I loved it. Thank you. On a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what will you give the Capitol Theater? 4.5. Nice, nice. I was going to go four. Okay. Just because all the sources were pretty old, but the fact there was a straight up murder there mm-hmm. and that the main ghost that people see is the person who was murdered. Yeah. It makes me lean towards more towards I believe it. That's what I'm saying. So what do you have for me this week? Well, I'm actually heading to the other side of the country. Yep. And I'm going to tell you about the B. Bennett House in Placerville, California. California and Florida. We are going warm. Maybe instinctively because it's getting colder. It's starting to get so cold. We're like, let's go to the warm places. (laughs) I almost went to Florida, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, I had a really hard time trying to decide what I wanted to do this week. Um, I was really tempted to do a cryptid, but I kind of felt like you might do a cryptid. And so I was like, no, I'll go Florida. (laughs) Anyway, so the B. Bennett House was built in 1853 by Colonel Frederick A. B., for him and his family, which included his wife, Catherine, his oldest son, Frank, and his youngest son, Willie, who was born either shortly before or shortly after the house was completed. Colonel B was known to be a bit of a mover and a shaker in Placerville. He was one of the first merchants to set up shop in the city, which was incorporated just a year after the house was built in 1854. Fun fact, prior to it being incorporated, the town was simply known as Hangtown, because of the numerous hangings that occurred there. That's not nice. And although there is some debate as to how many hangings actually occurred, it was at least enough for the folks of Hangtown to call it Hangtown. Uh, (laughs) But yes, much like the Whaley House that was built literally on the land where hangings happened, Colonel B was like, yes, this will be a great place to raise a family and start some businesses. Hangtown. California. Hang Hang 10 in Hangtown. So he did. Hang 10 like surfing, not like Hang hang 10 people. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know the surfing. (laughs) (laughs) Just was really funny. (laughs) Anyway, so he did just that. Uh, He also started and ran the Pony Express in California, as well as the B Telegraph Company, which was the first Trans Sierra Telegraph, don't you know? Um, And then another fun fact, Colonel B was apparently the man who coined the phrases beeline, like you're taking a beeline to that. I thought it had bees, but okay. Well, his his last name is spelled B-E-E. Oh, okay. So, and uh, heard it on the grapevine. Heard it through the grapevine. Um, Lose your mind, honey, honey. I also don't know the other words. That's exactly what I would do. (laughs) (laughs) uh anyway at least that's according to the current owners of the property i did not do any additional research to see if that was factual um so that's a supposed fun possible fact good to know yeah uh but then tragedy hit the b family when in 1855 young willie died of coop which is a intense coughing situation yeah And not long after, the B family moved to San Francisco to follow business opportunities there. 
Then, in 1889, Judge Marcus P. Bennett and his wife Mary bought the house, um, which is why it's called the B. Bennett House. Together, they converted the old house into a 16-room mansion with redwood that they had hauled from Oregon via freight wagons. And according to BenderParanormal.com, quote, Marcus was prominent in the El Dorado County community, serving as an attorney and later a superior judge. Um, the El Dorado County is... Right around okay. where this is. And uh, Mary, like her husband, was extremely involved in the Placerville Society. She was proud of her community and took pride in the development and the history of it all. Mary was not only one of the first members of the Shakespeare Club, but very involved in church and clubs and a wide range of civic activities. Busy, busy woman. We like busy women. I was about to call her a busy bee, but she's not. She's a busy Bennett. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. <laughs> Busy bat beanie beanie. <laughs> anyway, uh the <laughs> guys, I'm sick. Uh. <laughs> uh the Bennett's lived in the house along with their five daughters and one son until the nineteen fifties, though like the bees before them, their happy home was not without its share of tragedy as their youngest and only son, Marcus Jr., also died in the house from falling down the grand staircase. He was only three or four years old. Oh, no baby gates at that point. No, no. They thought that children, well, he is also three or four. No toddler gates. Yeah. Judge Bennett himself passed away in 1925, while his wife Mary lived until 1952. It was after Mary's passing that the remaining Bennett's decided to sell the house which was purchased in 1958 by the Placerville, Placerville, I've been switching back and forth. We'll call it Placerville. Uh, It was purchased in 1958 by the Placerville Elks Club. That's chapter 1712. So an Elks Club is like a moose club. Yes. And if you don't know what either of those are, uh, you grew up in a bigger city than we did. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a men's club, but like. No, there's ladies. Initially, it was just men, though. Oh, okay. In the 1950s, it was probably just men. I assume so. I just know that the Moose Club in Two Harbors has men and women. The Owls Club has men and women also, but they're the ladies are not called owls. They're called the auxiliary members. Bullshit. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, and while they did some renovations on the property, they did their best to preserve the original architecture and quote-unquote artistic treasures them elks they tried to keep it og and for the next 40 or so years the place of real elks used the space for their meeting hall dinners and events until 2001 when the property was sold again to danica and nello olivo who converted the lodge into an upscale restaurant called the sequoia b bennett house restaurant and event center which I assume was a pretty successful endeavor as 10 years later, the family-owned Wedgwood Wedding and Banquet Center Company purchased the building in 2011. They own 32 wedding and reception venues throughout California. I bet they make bank. Wedding's so expensive. And then think how many people do California for like destination weddings. So they get that extra cha-ching. The cha-ching. The cha-ching. Yeah. Yeah. In January of 2012, the Sequoia 
Wedgwood Wedding and Banquet Center at B. Bennett Mansion. Say that 15 times. Doors to social events. It is a bit of a mouthful. Yep. The Sequoia Wedgwood Wedding and Banquet Center at B. Bennett Mansion. W's and B's, man. Just W's and B's. But. What? Guys, I'm sick. Which is still going strong today. There are gorgeous photos. Has 4.55 out of 5 stars. Seems like a great, decently sized venue. If you don't mind the ghosts. I don't mind the ghosts. Tell me about them, Brittany. Me neither, especially the last story. So folks claim that both Frederick and his wife, Catherine, have returned to the house after their passing, enjoying the mansion, which is now much grander than when they built it. According to hauntedhouses.com, a former cook from the Elks Club saw a solid, real-life-appearing couple dressed in Victorian attire, enjoying the fresh air on a porch swing for two. As the cook came up to the porch to go inside, she said, hello, and the couple nodded back politely. But then the cook remembered that there was no swing for two currently on the porch, (laughs) realizing that they were ghosts and booked it out of there. So, first thought? Yes. This episode's filled with a lot of pleasant ghosts. Yes. Second thought, I knew you could have ghosts, but I didn't know you could have like a a ghost porch swing. Um, You know, maybe it just goes with them. It's like... um, Permanently stuck to their butts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking more of like a a Barbie accessory, but okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Their two-year-old son, Willie, is also set to remain on the property, and he has been seen playing around the house. But Willie is not the only ghost child who is said to reside here. It is said that Marcus Jr., who died falling down the stairs, also remains at the house. And it is thought that the two of them like to cause mischief together. Mm. Yeah, they like to move objects, turn the water faucets on and the lights on and off, and even throw glasses in the bar area. Apparently, sick of the kiddos supposedly ruining his setup all the time, the bartender brought in a ball and bat and asked them to please play with those instead of the glasses. (laughs) The ball and bat were moved all over the bar, sometimes in places where the bartender could trip over them, but apparently it was still better than having to duck flying glasses. I'm just trying to think of, like, would I be scared? At this point, with how much we've talked about, like, when you talk about these things, I try to imagine myself in those scenarios. Yeah. I'm like, would I would I be scared? I'd probably be scared, but some part of me wants to be like, no, I wouldn't be scared. I'd just be like, what the fuck? I, yes. I might be scared... The first time it happens, and maybe it would catch me off guard, like a like a jump scare, like ah, mm-hmm. <laughs> glass flying by my head. Um, I think after a while, I would just be annoyed. <laughs> Stop fucking ruining my glasses! <laughs> Seriously, these are high quality crystal, kiddos. <laughs> these are fucking IKEA, and I just don't want to have to go back into that store because <laughs> I'll come out with so much more than glasses. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Judge Bennett can also still be found in the house, never having quite gotten over the death of his son, Marcus Jr., and perhaps not aware that Marcus is still there. Judge Bennett likes to sit in the dining room chair and stare out the window, dressed in Victorian clothing and sporting a beard. His presence has clearly been seen by others throughout the years and identified by people who knew him when he first began appearing. Oh, so Uh, real recent after his death. Yeah. 
and he died in 1925. Well, just a lot of times you hear hauntings and they're like, yeah, this death happened in the 20s and they started getting reports in the 80s. Like, yeah. No, this that's is really recent. Yeah. People who knew him alive saw him and were like, fuck. Oh, shit. <laughs> Judge Bennett. Just expletives everywhere. Didn't you die? <laughs> Molly Bennett is also said to remain in the house as well. She has been seen and felt coming down the central staircase. During the time that the uh, it was the Sequoia restaurant, owners Danica and Nello were meeting the staff in a first floor room above the bar within view of the central staircase. While waiting for staff members to arrive, Danica saw a mist floating down the stairs and go around the corner. In the original story, it said some... We had a, like a weird snide remark about the staff member not being up to snuff. And I'm like, what? Because they were late for a meeting? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. She also has been seen by the proprietors in the flower shop. Molly is said to like to go into the flower shop where they put together the wedding flowers for upcoming weddings and receptions. During its time as the Elk Lodge, one of the club's officers, who didn't believe in spirits, of course had to go back to the mansion to get some papers that he left in his office on the second floor. No one was there except for the house cat and himself. I love that they had a house cat. Uh, As he climbed the central staircase, he felt a cool breeze come down to his step and then felt a gentle, cool hand on his upper arm. The cat hissed and ran away, and needless to say, he became a believer and went about his quest without delay. That's how Evie reacts when I visit the house. Are you a ghost? Yes. Oh, shit. It's been a long con, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say you're a full figure then. (laughs) Full figure apparition right here. Yeah, full body, look solid. (laughs) Yeah, you you can ask my husband. I'm a full bodied apparition. (laughs) It's like the worst pickup line. Sorry, continue. And also, why are you picking up someone else by mentioning your husband? (laughs) You can ask my husband. I'm a full figure apparition. I mean, we are not Polly, but maybe it's a Polly situation. I don't know. I don't know. I was just trying to come up with something funny. I was waiting for you to go, guys, I'm sick. <laughs> guys, I'm, I'm, guys, I'm not sick. I'm just <laughs> drinking beer. Uh, Marcus Jr.'s nanny also appears to hang out there as well. Uh, thought to still feel guilty about his accident, she is said to pace the floors where the two little boys play. Folks also believe that she assists the brides that are getting ready for their big day and that maybe she is the one that leaves them a rose. Apparently that happens. Oh, okay. You get a, lo- a you get a rose left for you if you're a bride to be and they think that it's the maid probably because she didn't get a chance to That's be married. That's so sweet though. I know. And she, yeah, she hangs like out your well wishes. Yeah, and she hangs out with the little boys. And I think it's cuz she's still like, "Well, I'm your nanny." Obviously. Legit legit there is also a female cook who wears a blue and white uniform from the victorian era my sister hates that because the victorian era spans so many years and all of these stories just describe it as being from the victorian era she's like that's not very accurate (laughs) (laughs) as someone who legitimately makes outfits that are like more historically accurate. Like she makes her own corsets. Gets it's like the boning and everything. So she does it. She she knows. She knows. She's not just She knows. She knows. 
Brittany knows she knows. She knows she knows. We're, I was just thinking this morning that it's been a while since we sang on this podcast. I'm, I'm on it today. You're I, on I'm it. You and me right, right here. there. Yeah, yep. you got it. <laughs> anyway, so this lady wearing a blue and white uniform from the Victorian era has been known to try and help in the kitchen. A matronly cook who had come to prepare food for the dinner on the Elks Club event came into the kitchen and found her usual Elks Club volunteer, a wife of a current member. And then the two women walked into the kitchen. They both saw a woman dressed in a blue and white old-fashioned uniform busily working at the end of the kitchen on the corner. Thinking she was a new volunteer, the cook went towards her to welcome her to the team, but as she approached her, she noticed that there was nothing below the knees, and she was just floating in air. So we've learned tonight that that's a partial-bodied apparition. A (laughs) partial-bodied apparition, and then she just slowly faded away. Another story, according to hauntedhouses.com, goes a female staff member was in the building herself alone preparing to open the sequoia restaurant a quote scuzzy looking drifter was standing (laughs) on the driveway outside of the front door after a while she finally convinced him to leave saying that they were not open yet but he still hung around thinking that she was alone not a good situation no no but then suddenly music was turned on in the basement by unseen hand making him think that the female staff member was not alone after all, and he left. Hashtag spirits to the rescue. Hashtag spirits just want to dance. Yeah. Want to dance with somebody. They want to feel the heat with somebody. Hey, I want to dance with somebody. With somebody who's not dead. Somebody who... <laughs> All right, sorry. I thought you were going to go with somebody who's not scuzzy looking. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Not dead and not scuzzy looking. That's all I ask for in a man. <laughs> You've got very low standards. <laughs> I've been told that before. <laughs> Except for you think that Sean is the greatest person that's ever existed. Just because I am married to the greatest human on the entire planet does not mean that in the past I haven't been told that my standards were low. Just saying. He exceeds every standard ever. Sean is the best human being in the entire world. It's been a while since I said that on the podcast, just in case anybody forgot. Thank you. You know, same. I feel like I have had very low standards in the past. <laughs> and I think that Steve exceeds all of, them. all of them. There you go. He's a wonderful person. And that's why him and Sean are friends. Because <laughs> they're both wonderful. And obviously, they love that we're friends. Obviously. And then finally, my favorite story. During a wedding and reception, the mother of the bride was uh, behaving badly, doing her best to uh, cause some issues on the couple's big day. Fuck that. Well, something in the house got a hold of one of the lady's expensive diamond earrings and put it in the dishwasher. (laughs) And then on her way out, she was pushed into the rose bushes and she got all scratched up. (laughs) Karma or ghosts, I'll take it either way. Either way. Hilarious. And uh, yeah, that is the uh, B. Bennett mansion slash house slash Sequoia wedding venue thing. (laughs) So on a skeptic scale, I'm going to give this wedding venue, I'm going to go with a four again. Awesome. I feel like there's enough reports and it's consistent enough. 
and our scale, as we've discussed many times, is arbitrary. So, I mean, I don't have to justify it much more than that. It feels like a four. It's given me four vibes. You know, I'm also going to go with a 4.5 for this one. And I think the thing that has pushed me over the top, two of them, two things that have pushed me over the top is, one, the fact that Judge Bennett had been seen shortly after his death by people who knew him. Yep. Yep. That, like, okay, well, all right, there you go. And two, I just really want that story about the mother of the bride getting pushed into the <laughs> rose bushes. So it, the the last one is really more of a willing it to be true rather yep. than a believability. But, you know, again, arbitrary scale. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of parallels in our stories tonight. I was thinking that as a, you were telling yours. I was like, uh-huh, I have something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have something like that, too. Okay. Friendly ghosts, like tragedy well i mean that usually goes along with ghosts but friendly ghosts children. and then children ghosts and then ghosts that appear shortly after the person that they were past yeah i'm a big fan this feels very classic left skeptic like we i mean granted we're still hopping off of urban legends october right so that was a whole different vibe and but, i'm sick and you're sick i couldn't do any deep research <laughs> but it still feels very classic us doesn't it yeah it really does. You know what else is classic us? Listener stories. You know what I don't have this week? A listener story. Guys. <laughs> friends. I only mention this because folks. I'm doing a specific call out for okay. a listener story. Because right. I'm not going to tell y'all what it is. But I'm going to tell y'all that we are in episode 93. Uh-huh. And for our 100th episode. <gasps> yes. We have very special guest slash guests coming on. <laughs> I'm so excited. And I'm not going to tell y'all who the fuck it is, uh-huh. but I think you're going to be excited and yeah. I think you're going to like it. I'm very excited. I'm very excited and I want to provide them with excellent listener story or stories, depending on what we are provided with. Please. 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 We are recording this episode at the end of November, so we have a couple of weeks. If If you have a listener story to submit to us and you've been hanging on to it, and even like, ah, I don't have the energy to write it. We would love it if you took that energy and wrote it because we're super stoked. Yes. Yes, please. You can do so by submitting it directly via email, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. Or you can do so by visiting our website, www.leftofskeptic.com and clicking the listener stories tab at the top of the page. You can also go to the link tree in our bios. Either way, you know, you can keep your... Put your name in there, remain anonymous, however you want to handle it, whatever you're comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns because we don't want to misgender anyone. Thank you. We are also on social media. We are on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at Left of Skeptic and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Time is flying. We are getting close to 100 episodes. I just, oh, wow. which means we are getting close to two years of doing this. I know. I am so excited and so stoked, and I'm so happy that to be going on this adventure with you, Brittany. Oh, that's so nice. And going on this adventure with you listeners who have either been here from the start or added in later. Our demographics are rising, which I've been very excitedly watching. And then I send them to Brittany and Brittany goes, I know I saw that. And I'm like, <laughs> just let me be stoked. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also, hello to all of our new listeners. Hello and welcome. And we love you. We do. It's just an automatic thing. Yeah, yeah, we we very easily give away our love. <laughs> Maybe this is why we had such low standards before. 
All right, well, regardless of our low standards, we love you all so much and we appreciate you. Oh, we do appreciate you. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay, okay. bye. The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! Thank you.